Hello, you're listening to the Property Management Show, a podcast brought to you by a four and a half property management marketing agency. Today, our guest is Jeremy Pound, none other than the CEO and founder of RentScale. In this episode, you'll learn the differences between a lead and a prospect, and also the difference between a marketing qualified lead versus a sales qualified lead, and how to set up a basic sales process. You're also going to learn how this information can help you close more doors. Stay tuned. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Marie and Brittany. Hello. We are doing our first podcast separately, but our <laughs> guest today is someone very special to us. It's Jeremy Pound from RentScale. You're going to be here virtually like we're doing everything these days? Yep. Yeah. We just keep, you know, um, continuing and plowing through everything that comes in front of us. So today we're going to talk about something that we haven't actually discussed in the property management show, in the podcast, and um, that's around the concept of um, the definition of a true valid owner lead. And so we're going to unpack that um, with Jeremy. Um, So to kick things off, Jeremy, tell our listeners who may not have heard of you, um, who you are, what you do, and your relation to the property management industry. Thanks, Marie. Well, you know, as you guys know, we have a lot of shared clients. I am the CEO and co-founder of RentScale. I founded RentScale with Jordan Marilla uh, of Lead Simple fame, amongst many other things. And uh, we essentially are trying to bring a professional level of sales and sales management to the residential property management industry. So you guys know this really well. Um, property managers are very operationally minded. They have their customer service dialed in. They've got this bulletproof maintenance policies. Their accounting is completely foundational, but they're typically winging it when it comes to growth, right? And so you guys are helping them in the marketing space. We really wanna help bring that same level of professionalism on the sales side. And what, When it comes to sales and when we're talking about sales and marketing, one of the points um, of positivity and also friction sometimes can be leads because what do you want to grow with? You need property owner leads. Um, But before we get into that, we wanted to talk to you, like what's the basic definition of a lead? Because some people might not even know what that means. I think a lot of people do, but for people just starting out, maybe they don't. Yeah, this is a, a fantastic conversation. I mean, what part of make uh, part of professionalizing something, operationalizing something, is creating labels and boundaries, right, and, and a framework for communicating about things. And so, you know, if you look at your new business development effort, it's very abstract and you know just kind of magical. Like so many people think about it, you know, all of a sudden people show up and they want to do business, and then there are some people in our organization that know how to talk to them. And there's some people that don't. It's all just black magic, right? That is not operational operationalization. You wouldn't deal with any other part of your business with that level of of extraction. And so we want to create labels and buckets and, you know, guidelines so that, you know, we can move from just doing all the sales ourselves as the owner to maybe having another person do it to being able to have a whole team do it. And that all comes from this kind of opera, opera, operationalization. Tough word to say. 
Um, so let's just start with like, what is a lead? Okay. So a lead at the most, you know, general basics, and I'm not just going to specialize this for property management. I'm talking about anything, right? A lead for four and a half or rent scale or anybody. It's simply contact info, right? I have a name. I have a phone number or an email, depending on how they wanted to reach out. Um, I may only have a LinkedIn handle because they commented on something I did. Just having a name who you don't know anything about, but you have a suspicion that they might want to do business with you, that's a lead, guys. And then we can slice and dice that a million ways. But let's just be honest. When we say a lead, it's nothing mystical. It's just having info, a name, contact info. And until we call that person, we don't know what kind of lead that is. And that's where we can get with the conversation. That makes a lot of sense because um, it depends on what you're looking for. And that's where I love that you talked about labels because I think that labels are very important when it comes to anything you do in the property management industry, since there are so many different types of leads per se that, that you might be looking for depending on your current situation with your business. So what, um, what would you give as a definition of a lead in the context of, of the property management industry on like the, the most surface level? Cause I think we're going to dive deeper into it the more that we discuss today, but um, what are your thoughts there? So in the property management space, most of you guys are going to consider leads. Uh, those people that either call in or fill out a lead on your website, right? These are inbound leads. These are people kind of raising their hand saying, I have a question. I want to know what you charge. Here's my situation. Can you handle a property like X? I don't know what property managers do. Can you tell me more? You know, these are the inbound leads that you know, most of us wait for, sit around all day. I joke all the time that most business development managers or salespeople in property management, you know, they spend 10% of their time talking inbound leads and 50% thinking about how to generate more inbound leads, right? This is like their whole world. Um, but in addition to that, a lead could be a referral. So if I called you guys and I said, hey, I know somebody who needs your services. Here's their name and email. You know how, you now have a lead, right? And that was generated via referral. And, and let's be honest, a lead is even you going online, finding a Furbo, right? A for rent by owner. Here's a listing on Trulia. This guy's renting a home in a building that I manage three other properties in. This looks just like some of my best tenants. And by the way, I Google the phone number. I look at the property records. His name's Bob. He owns the property. This isn't a real estate agent. That's a lead. It's up to you whether you call him or not and find out if he's interested in talking to you. But a lead is just the name and the contact info of anybody who might want to do business with you. Right. And so that actually kind of drives us into the next point and going almost back to the buckets. There are different levels of leads. So a lead could be anything for property managers. It could be anything. Um, how do you, how do you segment those types of leads and, and what, how do you prioritize them? And I might be getting ahead of myself self here, but there are like one could be a very, hot lead one could be like the one that you just mentioned where you're researching their information that one might be a colder lead right yeah yeah so there's lots of labels we can define here and so as a salesperson or a business development manager um you know we live and die by our pipeline right if if we don't have a pipeline we don't have the opportunity to sell right so we i joke many times when i give presentations um, pipeline is life. And usually the BDMs in the room chuckle and they agree with that. 
Um, gonna get some t-shirts made up at some point, Pipeline is Life, because that's what we're dying for. We're, we're dying to talk to people who potentially wanna do business with us. So our number one goal is to find out if that lead is a prospect or not. So that's, a, that's another term I would like to introduce. So a prospect is somebody that is in your pipeline, okay? So a lead is that you have the contact info. This gentleman um, filled out a lead form. My goal is to call them, right? So they're a lead when I have their contact info, but my goal is to call them to find out two more pieces of information. One, are they qualified? Can they do business with us? Do they have a property in my geography uh, of management? Um, are they financially, are they able to financially sustain the property, right? Meaning that they have reserves and they can make, you know, um, they can make repairs. This is something that property managers talk about all the time. I totally stole that from somebody else. We came up with, uh, the word financial stamina to carry the property. I like it. It's a great term, right? And it's a fantastic way to talk to the owner. You know, do you have the financial stamina to carry this property, right? Will you be able, do you have two months in reserves? Can you manage things? right? What, uh, what else matters? Is qualification something I've defined as you're a hands-off owner and you truly don't want to be calling me? You don't want to know what's going on until you get your rent every month or something happens? Or are you a micromanaging uh, who looks at property managers as a gopher who's going to do everything for you? And I'm going to disqualify you based on your mindset, your psychology. We get to define what qualified means, but that's our job. Our, BD, our role as a BDM or salesperson is to call lead and find out two things. Are they qualified? Are they interested? Right? Once, somebody, once you know who somebody is and you know they're qualified and interested, in my opinion, they convert from a lead to a prospect. And now they deserve more of your time and energy. And so that's the language that, that I like to recommend is, you know, you should be spending the majority of your time with your prospects but you should also be out there prospecting, which means talking to leads, calling those furbos, doing other things. But the whole goal is to find out, are they qualified? Are they interested? At which point they deserve more of my time. Now, Brittany, I want to address one thing. You said a hot lead, a cold lead. Yeah. I really like to be clear about when we can be um, black and white and concrete about our labels and when we're being subjective. And let's just be honest, like hot and cold, a little bit of a subjective thing right, right? so and you got to be honest with yourself like when I'm using terms like that's a hot lead that's a cold lead you know I'm adding labels to the situation mm -hmm. right projecting my beliefs on the situation but when you when you really truly use terms like um, a marketing qualified lead a sales qualified lead which I know we want to get into a prospect I'm looking for ways where if I have four people on my sales team right even if it's like a like um, a proverbial, like I'm not actually going to hire four people, but let's just say I had four people. I could train them to all have the same definition for a term. I have a hard time creating a definition that four people will share around a hot lead, but I don't right. have around a qualified prospect. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I feel like, and just from my personal experience, I, you said it perfectly, it's subjective. So you might consider like me as a person, if I talk to somebody and I really hit it off with them, maybe I'll consider them a hot lead, but they might not be a qualified lead. I just think it might be fun to work with them. So it's very, I feel like it, when you don't have the proper labels and the right criteria, it's very easy to not look at things objectively. And I feel like that's when things could turn away from being in your favor to actually going against you at some point. So it really makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and let me just add to that, that no brainer. I mean, there's definitely a situation where you can have a hot, unqualified lead. <laughs> so if you have a client who loves you and you manage in Temecula and then they buy a property in San Antonio, they're like, would you please manage this property for me? Well, they're super hot, but they're not qualified. Right. You can't manage that property in San Antonio. You don't have the resources to do that, right? So that situation does exist without a doubt. So um, that leads me to my next question. So we actually started getting into the definitions of these different labels. And as Brittany mentioned, you know, buckets, as we like to think of them. So Jeremy, you shared the difference between um, what a lead is versus what a prospect is. Um, what are the other objective labels um, that you feel like is important in, in property management? Great, great, great question. So let's get the, the, the core labels out there. So we talked about a lead versus a prospect, right? And the lead is extremely general. If you think about like, an um, it's an umbrella term, which has many buckets underneath it, without a doubt. So I like to, uh, I would like to qualify or define a couple more terms. One is a marketing qualified lead. Uh, another is a sales qualified lead. Um, another uh, is a prospecting lead. <laughs> and then, you know, I would, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about an active pipeline and nurturing and what that really looks like. And so we can dive into that. But let's go through those first. So we love Lead Simple. I know you guys recommend it. We recommend it. Lead Simple really revolution, uh, revolutionized this idea of automation for property managers. And they introduced this idea that you can use drip campaigns and you can follow up and you can educate in content marketing. Well, when somebody comes to your website and they fill out the lead form that says the seven things you should think about when managing a property or the three questions to ask any property manager before you hire them, what do we know about them? We know that they're interested in property management information, right? So we can now make some uh, assumptions that they are either a landlord or a potential landlord, and we can market to this person, okay? That's a marketing qualified lead. Come to your website, I download your white paper, I intentionally only give you my email, not my phone number, right? I'm not expecting a salesperson to call me. <laughs> I am not a sales qualified lead. We are marketing to that person, with the goal of elevating them or warming them into becoming a sales qualified lead. That is very different than somebody that fills out the other lead form that you have on your website that says, contact me about property management, right? And so I, I, I'm famous for doing this. I joke with my team all the time. That's like people raising their hand saying, please call me, right? When someone raises their hand and says, I have questions, please call me or give me info, email me, whatever it is. Just please respond with information. That is a sales qualified lead and it is that easy. I don't know why people complicate it, right? What is their intent? When they fill out a, a white paper lead form, their intent is to learn more. They're giving you permission to market to them. When they fill out a lead form saying, call me, they're giving you permission to sell to them. That's a sales qualified lead versus a marketing qualified lead. Um, I'm sure that makes sense. If you guys have questions, let me know. The last thing I want to mention is the, the gentleman that the, the hypothetical gentleman I mentioned earlier named Brian, who is trying to rent a unit in a building that I have three other man properties that I manage in, right? So Brian is a furbo. 
I Googled him. I have learned his information. He is a prospecting lead. It is worth the phone call to find out if Brian even knows about property management, if he's truly happy managing on his own, or is he just thrust into a situation and he has no idea what he's doing? Or by the way, this is the thing we all forget because we're so close to the industry. You know how many do-it-yourself landlords have no clue that property managers exist and they don't know what a professional yeah. property manager is? They might just think you collect the rent for them. They're dying to learn about what you do, right? So that's a prospecting lead. That's a lead that needs some prospecting to decide if they're an active prospect. Now, the result of that prospecting phone call will be, hey, this is a marketing qualified lead that I should put in lead simple and drip on, or this guy, Brian, really wants to have a conversation. He's a sales qualified lead, right? It's one of two outcomes. So that's the way I look at it. That's the way I slice and dice it. You know, I, I think it's easy. I think it's, it's, you know, approachable, you know, how to manage your time. And so those are the, the labels and the buckets that I really recommend. Yeah. And I love how clearly you define the lines. Um, because here too at Far and Half, like for our own marketing, we, we kind of practice the same thing, right? So if someone downloads like an ebook, for example, we don't expect them to be willing to talk to Logan to start talking about our packages. We know that, hey, you know, if they downloaded our, you know, our, uh, you know, our, our ebook about content marketing or they're just reading our blogs, like we know that they're just wanting to learn more about you know, what we do and what we offer. But if once they fill out a form that says like contact four and half or like get a, you know, marketing assessment, we know that, oh, okay, they're expecting someone to call them. And in fact, we even have in our thank you message, think you're filling up a form, a team member will reach out to you soon to manage the expectation. And so from the property management's point of view, that's how they should also think about it. Because at the end of the day, we're all consumers, right? We all know that when we download something, we expect X, but when we fill out a form for something, we expect Y. And so I think like that's something we should all keep going back to our own personal experience of going to a website and either downloading something or filling out a form. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I will say that I'll go on the record and say, I'm not opposed to giving a marketing qualified lead a phone call. Just you need a marketing qualified message when you call that person, right? Yeah. Hey, I know you yes. downloaded our white paper. Um, just want to make sure you were actually able to get access to it. And if you have any questions that I'm happy to answer it to you and that there's a real live human being here on the other end of the phone. And if you read it, you know, I know you haven't read it yet, Bob, no problem. When you do read it, if you have questions, my name's Jeremy, feel free to give me a call, right? There's nothing more inappropriate than calling that white paper download and saying, so you wanna know about our property management services? No, they didn't say that at all, right? And so the message should match, you know, just like in marketing, like you guys are experts at, just like you want your landing page message to match the ad, you want your follow-up message to match their intention, right? Super simple, but I don't know why people lose sight of this. Well, and that's that. <laughs> I was actually gonna ask you that question because I feel like a lot of times there can be this disconnect between marketing and sales if they aren't communicating where you might have i might be a property management company who has a, a marketing coordinator creating ctas on my website and creating these drip campaigns but if you don't teach the bdm or whoever is handling those leads how to communicate it could be doing it could be doing more damage than good yeah, yeah. and frustrating 
the BDM or whoever's calling. I mean, listen, Lead Simple make it, makes it super easy, right? There are stages, there are multiple pipelines. Sources. Exactly. Any, yeah. any pipeline we set up in Lead Simple, we're, we're not commingling your active pipeline with the marketing pipeline, right? And so if you run out of people in your active pipeline to call and you want to call the marketing people, fine. But I don't want you calling one after the other and not knowing who's who. That's just going to make everybody upset. Both sides. Person doing the calling and the person getting called. Yeah. And then if they were interested in learning more, they might actually get turned off because they just feel like, oh, I just wanted to learn more. And now they're just selling me. They just want my money. They don't care about me. And then the story in their head switches so fast. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're like, well, if this is how they treat people that are prospects, like I can only imagine how they would manage my money when I actually start giving them my money. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they don't even know what's going on. Yes, yeah. exactly. This is a little bit of a side topic, but there's no true way to, to trial a property manager, right? I mean, some of our clients do offer like try us for 90 days, but the majority of our clients, there's no way for the owner to try the property manager. So you know what substitutes that experience? The sales process. Their sales process is them test driving what it would be like to work with you. And so that's largely the case why we take this thing so seriously and we think the sales process has to be bulletproof because this is your test drive. This is your free trial that you're giving the owner. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. And it's funny, if we, if we go back to um, what you just said like a couple minutes ago about the marketing qualified lead it's okay giving them a phone call. One of the questions we were going to ask you and we wanted to talk about is how to tell the difference between um, somebody, a lead that you should follow up on and a lead that you shouldn't follow up on. And I feel like there's so many different aspects to that. One is qualify them first, marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead, um, prospecting lead and whatever buckets you create. Um, once, once they're there, since you, pro you probably should follow up on all of them, how do you prioritize between the different ones? And maybe we'll, we'll go back to before they're qualified in a second, or maybe we start there. So it's a, it's a really solid question. I think the answer will depend based on the uh, lead flow that any client has. So w we have one particular client that I can think of. They spend... Um, significant resources on marketing. They're a shared client of ours. Uh, they're on the radio. They're on the internet. They have an amazing reputation, right? They are generating so many leads that their number one concern is to make sure that they're following up with the inbound leads, right? So they might be generating 80 to 100 leads a month. And so for a lot of us listening to this as a property manager, they're like, whoa, I can't even get my head wrapped around 80 to 100 inbound leads a month. But I'll tell you what, when you do about 80 to 100 inbound leads a month, your new problem starts becoming follow-up. I call everybody back. That's the easy part, right? Like everybody calls everybody once. Do you call them back second time, the fifth time, the seventh time, right? Do you stay on top of them? So just a personal story that I'll share. When I had our marketing agency, which you know we've talked about that before, we used to have a, a marketing agency. We had a lot of success with buying remnant Sirius satellite advertising radio. So we went out, we did a guaranteed SEO program, and we advertised on like 
Bloomberg and CNBC. And we would get like 90 phone calls in a week saying, I want to talk about your guaranteed wow. SEO. And we did that. And you know what? We didn't sell anything at all. And I went to the sales team and I was like, what's going on? They're like, we're getting all these good calls, but nobody's pulling the trigger. You know what was happening? They'd get 90 phone calls week one and then they'd get 90 new phone calls week two. And then they were like not following up. We were selling a, you know, multi thousand dollar a month program. Nobody just calls you and says, yes, I'm ready to go. Like, let's just buy. So what, what did we do? We only ran the ads the first week of every month. So we found out we had about a four to six week buying uh, sales cycle. We ran, we got 90 leads week one and the team had nothing to do but follow up with those leads for the next four weeks. And you know what? We started closing massive amounts of business, right? So the lesson from that was if you're always getting this new opportunity, then the deficiency is to stay with them and follow up until they're ready to go. So that's one end of the spectrum. The yeah. other end of the spectrum is you literally get two leads a week, right? You're a new, you're a smaller company. You haven't invested in marketing yet. And just out of the sheer reputation and having a couple good reviews and being found or because you take care of your clients, you get referrals, you might get two leads a month, right? Now you need to prioritize your time around prospecting. Are you calling furbos? Are you calling owners asking for referrals? The need is different, right? So see what I mean? Like the, how you should be prioritizing your leads should change. Um, here's the thing I know. Pipeline is life, right? I made that joke earlier. Why you guys chuckle on it. it the, the default temptation is to spend all your time with the people that are about to buy. The proposals you have out, the agreements ready for signing. It's all important, guys. But no salesperson I've ever met in my entire life doesn't call people back that are ready to give them money. The harder thing to do, it's like eating your vegetables before you eat dessert, right? You need to be carving out time to prospect, to talk to new leads, to make sure that you're filling the top of the funnel because pipeline is life, right? And the default temptation is just to call the people who already love you, that want to give you their money, and you have to do that. But here's the trick. It can be 4.45 on a Friday, and if you have somebody ready to sign, you'll call that person back but you won't prospect at 45 on a Friday. You just won't do it. You know what I mean? And so you, you need to know what your mix is, what your need is, but we like to teach carving out dedicated times on your calendar where you're prospecting. You drop everything when those hot leads come in, like we talk about all the time, but let's be honest with ourselves. BDMs love to convince us that they get 19 calls a day and they're constantly dropping everything and calling back. God bless you. I hope you do. But let's just be honest. Most of them don't, right? They're lucky if they get three or four of those calls a day. People fill out lead forms at 11 o'clock at night and they're waiting for you to call them back the next day. And you should do that. But there's time to prospect. And so that's my long-winded answer. And it's very complicated. I would want to sit down with anyone and say, what, what's your lead flow like? What's your you know, solution like? Like how, where are your leads coming from? What are your options to generate, go out in the market and create demand on your own? Let's look at your day like a pie chart. Let's divvy it up and let's, let's, let's uh, attack it appropriately. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like um, a lot of what we, we tell our account managers to do. They're not sales. Well, they are. I mean, everybody's a salesperson. We've talked about that before too. They're not a sales BDM type person per se, but you need to carve out time to reach out to those clients that don't email you every day 
that don't ask you questions all the time because you could spend all day in your inbox or on the phone replying to people that are emailing you, which um, again, for sales, it's a little bit different and you have, yeah, which it's good. It's good. People are reaching out to you, but you need to, even if it's for an hour a day, carve out that time to, to touch base with those people. So that resonates a lot with me and that makes sense. And I could see it being case by case for a salesperson. Yeah. And I think a, a key point to remember is at the end of the day, um, the reason like in, a, in our account management team, you know, that applies, but also in the sales teams for property management companies that applies. It's because we're all just building relationships, right? So for our account management team, we put a lot of time and effort to um, build that relationship. Um, but the, the people they have a relationship with they already know us, you know, they've gone through our sales process. So it's a more like intimate or closer relationship compared to a salesperson. This lead, this prospect knows nothing about you. Assume they know nothing about you. Right. And mm-hmm. so you have to be really vigilant and make sure that you're always top of mind because if you're not vigilant, then what if someone else is better at following up better at, you know, um, letting this lead or prospect feel like, you know, Hey, I get you right. Then you're losing out. Cause remember, it's not just about what you do. It's about what you do compared to other people who are after the same lead. I think a lot of people, um, need just a reminder that we don't live in this vacuum. Love it, Maria. I think you're hinting at a bigger conversation we have all the time. We, when, when companies start to operationalize, they create departments, right? And so business development people should develop business, right? Customer support people should support customers. I agree with that 100%, okay? We had our sales mastery event in Lauderdale. One of the biggest takeaways, like the eye-openers, is you know people were sharing that they get frustrated getting sucked into customer service roles, right? And that you know their company culture is that everybody chips in when they can. I love that. I absolutely love that. What I reminded them, this was the big takeaway, is yes, you can track down a security deposit from a former property manager as a BDM, but when's the last time a maintenance guy started calling Furbos for you? When's the last time like a property manager decided to follow up on an agreement that was out? There are certain things that you as the business development manager only will do, and if you don't protect that time, it's not going to happen. So let me just say that, right? We need to show up every day and realize our highest use of value and best time. Having said that, I feel like this idea of it, if I stay involved with the owner, then they won't call the property manager. They'll call me back is providing a negative blank check for the BDM to just never like just discontinue the relationship the day they come on board. Right. But if we are truly trusted advisors, which is that that's what we teach at Rinscale, is we are not doing transactional-based selling. We are trusted advisors. I know Four and a Half believes in that as well because we have several clients who are constantly checking in with each other, asking how we can collaborate. Um, when you surrender the right and the authority to stay in touch with a customer once they sign on, you lose the ability to keep them, to generate referrals. What if they buy more properties? What if they're open to buying more properties? What if they have cash on the sidelines during the coronavirus and one of your other owners wants to sell and you can make that connection, right? I mean, this is the trusted advisor 
position we want our BDMs to have. So I, I just, I've been trying to, I feel like correct the overcorrection that everybody's made is like, okay, once I get that signed agreement, I don't want them to be calling me. They should be calling the maintenance manager. I got to train them to do that. And we are losing that relationship and every service-based organization out there in the world, um, the salesperson expects to continue that relationship, to follow up, to serve that person, to advise that person, to do more business with them, to, re to get referrals from them. So anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, Marie, that you kicked off, but it's something that you hit nerve that I believe in. And so I wanted to share that. I kind of want to, um, and that was to both of you, that was a really good point too. the continuing of selling. I kind of want to drive us back to the, um, the topic of, the, of the entire conversation leads leads and, and defining them and the buckets. Um, and we've done that really well. One thing that, um, I wanted to ask, which we may have covered a little bit already. Um, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper if possible. What, what are some of the biggest risks or issues that people can encounter when they are obviously risks and issues are different things, but they, they pile up to bigger issues. So what are some of the, um, let's start with risks then risks that people, um, put themselves open into. The I'm, I'm yeah. Risks that people open the door to. I can't speak English right now. It's all of the, um, the inside. I got to go for a walk outside after this. Uh, <laughs> what are some of the risks that people encounter when they, don't define their sales process, don't define their buckets, and don't know what a qualified lead is. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I asked like 12 questions in once. I don't know if you noticed this yet, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a fantastic question. I, it, it was one of those things where like halfway through, I didn't know where you were going. And then at the end, I was like, oh, that's Me too, me too. That's a really good question. What are the risks of not having these labels, not operationalizing the sales department and the marketing department for that matter, right? What are the risks of winging it when it comes to new business, which is what so many of our clients are doing? Well, let's just be honest. Um, why does a personal trainer ask you to keep a food journal if you're trying to lose weight, right? Because you can eat well 90% of the time, and if you're not writing it down, you, you forget about the two cookies you had after lunch, right? Mm -hmm. You forget about the beers that you went out and had with your coworkers. You just, you just happen to forget about these things. Our awareness, of, our situational awareness of our reality is um, troublesome as human beings. Let's just be honest, myself included, right? We have these perceptions about what things are like, but they are not typically true. We are terrible judges of how things are going, you know, when it becomes anecdotal and it's our perception based. And so um, it's so easy for your BDM to come to you and say, and eh, the leads are shit, right? You know, well, was it just the last lead that was bad? Was it that you didn't follow up? Was it that, you know, um, you have something on your landing page and you're targeting that's causing you to bring in people outside of your geographic area? Is it that you don't manage homes with pools and you're generating 40 leads a month but 25 of them had pools and that you could actually change your landing page copy to basically say that we don't manage properties with pools, right? Just throwing some, these are all real things that I've run into when I've inspected people's pipelines. Yeah. So 
the danger is that left to our own devices, we as human beings are absolutely terrible at truly assessing and judging what's going on, right? This is why we have CRMs. This is why we track things because the numbers almost always tell a different story than our perception of the situation. And so just like I, I mentioned that, that radio advertising that we did when I had the marketing agency, <clears throat> I could have walked away from one of the most effective marketing channels that I ever found because I could have looked at it after a month and said, it doesn't work, nobody's converting, right? But because I inspected it and because I saw it in higher definition and for what it was worth, which was we're overblown with leads, we're calling 100 people back one time and we know that doesn't work in our business, and then I was able to change that situation. So the risk is, is you're walking away from good advertising sources. You're wasting money on the wrong people or the wrong activities, the wrong advertising sources. And, and most important, right, you just have no teeth to optimize. Like optimizing is the accumulation of little things over time, right? Like this works, but then I made it better and then I made it better. And if you're, if you're leaving it all the anecdote, then you're just blowing in the wind, right? That's all. So that, that's the biggest risk that I see. So it's essentially bad decision-making. The, bi yeah. the biggest risk It's you're making decision. It goes back to making subjective decisions based on instincts instead of data that you can actually look at. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, you know, we go through situations and one of the reasons why we're so happy that we can refer business to you is because as a marketing company, you make our lives a lot easier when we have an issue like that where the leads may be qualified, maybe not all of them are qualified, but the, the vast majority of them are leads that a property management company would work with or a specific company would work with, but there's something happening in the process where they aren't able to convert them. Um, something, and kind of to circle around that a little bit, where I was getting at with that is something we see a lot from other marketing companies is just um, a misrepresentation almost of, of valid leads or qualified leads in a situation where the property management company doesn't have the, the, behind the scenes knowledge to interpret the information that they're getting. So we, we work with clients that use, of course, other marketing channels too. Um, and they come to us and say, Hey, here's another, here's another tool I'm using to get leads. I'm getting all of these leads and I'm not able to convert them. And we look at them, we read the form, say it's a form that somebody fills out on a website. We, we read the form and it says, um, I'm a tenant looking to rent a property. Um, how often do you encounter that and how do you recommend that your clients handle those ki kinds of leads? Because technically based on your definition of a lead earlier, they are a lead, but they're not, if you're not trying to get more tenants to rent out properties, you're trying to sign up more property owners for management agreements, they're not a qualified lead. Yeah, th this is a great um, element to clarify, right? Qualified leads, invalid versus valid leads. So if you're playing the long game, right? Anybody who's renting a property in your market that you serve that has the right mindset is a valid lead. So I really appreciate that example, Brittany. Um, if I'm a plumber and I want your property management company to hire me, 
and I go to the owner form and I fill it out because that's, you know, I'm not really being very strategic and I'm just like brute force. I probably, by the way, that happens. It's probably like some outsourced company that I've hired in the Philippines just to go fill out every property management company form. So <clears throat> that's not a valid lead. That should be invalidated. That should be marked. Why? I have no intention of ever, ever calling that plumber about renting their home out, right? Same thing with a prospective tenant. Let me give you the counter to that, okay? So I fill out a lead form. You're on vacation, Brittany, and you don't get to call me back for a week, right? You call me back a week later, and I say, Brittany, I really appreciate the call. I just signed on with another management company. We have a tenant, right? And we're moving them in at the end of the month. I won't need your services for at least a year. That's not, a, that's not an invalid lead. Here's the difference. I would save them in my CRM. I'm playing the long game. I would apologize, let them know how great my vacation was and that that was the only reason I didn't get back to them and I would never let something like that happen again. I would, be, I would humanize the situation, which is a whole different topic. Um, I would say, I'm so happy you found a solution. Can I call you back at the end of the year and see if you're happy, right? Keep my number. If your management company ever says something to you that doesn't sound right and you want validation, I'm happy to help you, right? So I'm playing the long game. I have every intention as a professional salesperson to call that person in nine months, probably in six months, right? Probably in a month and say, hey, did that tenant move in? Are you happy with them? Fantastic, John. I'm going to call you in nine months, right? That's a valid lead. The, the, the lazy thinking, the danger comes when you say, you know what, that person already signed on with somebody else, that's a valid lead. Not only are you lying to yourself about the marketing dollars you spent to get that very qualified lead, you're shortcoming yourself as a salesperson by not updating your records and strategically going after this person a month from now, six months from now, nine months from now, right? That's a valid lead. So that's what I mean. That's where the yeah. great way that I think you and I both want to clarify. Yeah, it's, it's really good that you brought it up because that's something that Brittany and I have seen within Lead Simple. So when we're helping property managers, you know, set up their Lead Simple, train their their people to use Lead Simple, we urge them to create a stage in their sales process on Lead Simple um, that's basically kind of like a back burner, like whatever they want to call it, but think of it as a back burner. If they're like, hey, you know, I changed my mind. I'm not going to move out of the state until nine months from now, for example, like, don't just mark them lost, like, you know, put them in the stage and then add a reminder for yourself to follow up, you know, maybe a month before the deadline they set to see how things are. And then another one, the nine month mark, or sometimes we even urge them like, Hey, if they said they hired your competitor and you know, that competitor is not good. Um, have a follow-up reminder just for yourself to just give them a quick call, maybe three, four months from now, just see, Hey, how is everything going? Just, you know, wanted to check in how you're liking it. Cause around three to six months, the other property manager might be messing up and they might be like, you know what, maybe, you know, it wasn't a good idea. I went with these guys. Let, let's talk. Right. So, and you, and you never know. Right. Um, and so it's funny that you also see that on your end when you're helping people with their sales. Yeah, Marie, I, I just want to punctuate that. We are adamant that the owner should replace themselves as the BDM, as the salesperson, as soon as possible. We realize that if you're starting a company out, you may have to do the sales in the beginning. We find that, that 
outsourcing the sales or delegating the sales is the last thing the owner does. We started Rinscale, the first person who I hired as another salesperson. I love doing sales, right? But I realized it freed me up to do things and that only a dedicated person, Marie, is gonna do exactly what you just said. So if you're the owner listening to this podcast thinking, God, that's a lot of work, I gotta make a call <laughs> like a month from now, that may not go anywhere. That's why you have somebody dedicated to sales and that's the difference in your growth when you have somebody dedicated to sales. So I, you just, you made that point for me. I, I feel uh, like I missed an opportunity if I didn't punctuate that. <laughs> Um, so like going back to like defining valid leads. So you made it very clear that basically, right. In the greater scheme of things, um, unless it's like a vendor trying to sell you something, um, or a tenant, you're not looking for tenants right now. That's the only reason you would mark someone in invalid lead. And so, um, because of that, it's more important for you to start defining these other labels for valid leads that you can't close right now, right? Yes. Um, and so um, as Brittany mentioned, being able to standardize things really makes a big difference. And so what are like the, the buckets like inside valid lead that you feel like um, would be good enough as a starter kit, so to speak, right? For, for a property management company that may not have a system yet. Great, great question. So let's just do some broad strokes, some things that people need, right? So what I love about Lead Simple is, you know, you've got their color coding system as you move through stages. So you've got your marketing qualified leads. These are typically blue in Lead Simple to get really down to brass tacks. That's where your automation is. That's where you know you drip on people. That's a marketing qualified lead. That's somebody who downloaded something on your website and they never have raised their hand and said, hey, please call me. I'd like to talk to you about what we do. Then you've got your sales you know, ready leads, right? Your sales qualified leads, SQLs is the term, which is, you know, makes this seem very clinical and hard to understand, but it just basically means someone's raised their hand and said, I'd like a conversation about what you guys do right? I may or may not be ready to make a change. I may or may not be ready to rent my property, but I want information. That's a sales qualified lead. Okay. Now within that sales qualified lead, it's your job as the salesperson to decide if that lead is truly a prospect, right? And so I said this at the beginning, a lead means you have the contact info. A prospect means you have the contact info plus two additional uh, assurances. One, you believe they're qualified because you are making a little bit of an assumption, right? Like you're looking up the property. It looks like they're qualified Two, They're saying they're interested, right? They're actually saying, yeah, I want to talk about this. Give me info. I'm calling you back. Right. If, if they don't, if they're literally like, I am going to self-manage until I die, you know? <laughs> and like, I think it's lazy to hire a property manager. How dare you reach out about my property? That's not a prospect, right? They are not interested. Even if you think they're qualified, they are worth prospecting over time. They're maybe a marketing qualified lead, but they're not used, not worth your salesperson's best and highest use of their time, right? So, you know, marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead, your goal with the sales qualified lead is to find out if they're a prospect. Your prospects become your active pipeline. These are your yellow, oranges, and greens, and lead simple, and it's kind of a color coding system. It's like a heat map as you get closer to the sale screener. So this is your active pipeline. This is what you forecast on. 
These are some percentage of these people are going to be clients. Um, you have your active pipeline and then I think you have what is kind of like your active nurture. So anyone in your active pipeline is somebody who you have a dated next step with that you truly believe is going to like honor that dated next step. Right? So this is me saying to you, Marie, you know what? This is some good information. Let me talk to my wife. Can you call me back on Tuesday? Right? We got a dated next step. We have an agreement together. What if I say, well, you know, could you meet me at the property and tell me what you think about these repairs? And you say, yeah, I can be there on Thursday morning. That's a dated next step. Now, I may reschedule. I may get busy and say, hey, I couldn't talk today. Let's do it next week, right? Within some level of rescheduling, I have a commitment. That's your active pipeline. These are people who are doing what they say they're going to do, right? It's as simple as that. Then you've got those people who sounded great, but all of a sudden they're not calling you back anymore, right? Or they're like, hey, my mother got sick. I'm really crazy right now. Can I put this off for a little while? Right? So you can't really trust the day to next step you have with this person. I like to call this an active nurture. It's different than a passive nurture, which is your drip campaign. Your drip campaign means I don't even think about this person. They just get automatically dripped on. Your active nurture is I don't want a day to next step, but once a week, I'm going to carve out an hour in my schedule. I'm going to call these people and I'm going to find out what's going on. I'm going to personalize it. Like I'm personalizing the follow-up, right? It's an active nurture. And then from there, you got your passive nurture, right? I've called this guy for two months. I haven't got a call back. He hasn't opened an email. He could be dead for all I know, right? I'm going to put him back on my passive nurture, right? So these are the buckets, the, the, the building blocks of what we teach. You know, marketing qualified lead hopefully turns into a sales qualified lead. Your goal with the sales qualified lead is to turn them into a prospect. You know, they're qualified and interested. That's your active pipeline. People are only in your active pipeline if you have a dated next step that you believe is going to happen. At some point, you need a buffer zone when people don't live up to their promises. That's your active nurture. And if they fall to that, they're back in your passive nurture, right? Then you got your contact list. These are people that have said no to you for years. That's why we have Lead Simple. Man, there is gold. And the people that have said no to you six months ago and a year ago, right? And you can just carve out time and you can check in with those people. You can send marketing um, campaigns to these people. Whenever you're doing something new and fun, there's a new state law, right? We all know our property managers, like we all get freaked out about, you know, uh, tenant friendly laws, but we also know that tenant friendly laws make our job that much more important, right? And so whenever there's information, who am I broadcasting to? That's my contact list. It's everybody who's ever come through my system. So these are the, the building blocks, I think, of an operationalized sales process. I hope that's helpful. I hope that makes sense to everybody listening. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, that's a, the, the kind of mimics what we recommend to our clients when we're helping them set up their lead simple. And so it's, it's great that like with your team, because it's one thing to say like, hey, you have to have these building blocks, but it's easier said than done. Like for us, we're like, hey, you have to have these building blocks, but then we're not able to like guide them all the way there. Like what to say during these stages, you know, how to, how to think, like, you know, um, who's responsible for what at this stage. And so it's really interesting that we kind of like encounter the same situations. Um, and so to um, go back to, um, you know, these, these labels. So now that we have a, like a, a set of like standardized labels that we can all agree um, work for um, 
most property management companies that we work with. And you're um, actually using those labels. And you're actually using those labels. So, okay, side note, listeners, if you have Lead Simple and you have the stages, but you're not actually using it, sorry to break it to you, but you're wasting time and money. So um, if you're using other CRMs, same thing. So garbage in, garbage out, unfortunately. Um, but if you don't, but if you don't have time, like Jeremy was saying, right? Like you have to have time to follow up with the leads enough, not just once. And so um, if you're encountering any issues with like, you feel like you don't have enough leads coming in because you're not closing enough doors. So you feel like you need more leads coming in. Then maybe you may actually try to figure out if you even have time to follow up leads. Anyway, end of that segue. Uh, <laughs> so um, we, we talked about all these different like labels that we should use and, and the stages. And so how, um, how difficult is it to instill some, something like that in an organization? Cause you know, um, with, with, with small to medium sized businesses, when you start off a business, it's like everyone does everything, right? You wear multiple hats. It's like a startup mindset. Um, at what point should people sit down and actually say, Hey, we can't kind of just like dip into all these ponds anymore. We have to start separating the duties and we have to start like standardizing stuff. Like at what level do you think that's absolutely necessary versus just a nice to have? Well, it's really interesting, Ray, that the answer is a little bit paradoxical and that if, you're just truly winging it. Everybody's kind of doing a little bit of everything. You, the, the bottleneck is resources, the amount of time you have, the amount of attention, right? Because two or three people are doing everything in the property management company. And that's the very nature of a startup, right? Um, I've learned myself that the more operationalized you can be when you're doing everything yourself, the more efficient you can be and the more you can get out of your time, right? So I actually think it's just as important to systematize, to label, to formalize things when it's just you doing everything, even if it's you doing everything and you just being aware that right now this person's here, it can be extremely fluid. You'd be like, I'm taking off this hat. Now I'm on my customer service hat, but at least you know what hat you're wearing, right? So that you know, where is my time limited? And when I replace myself, which hat do I need to delegate first, right? Or when I do delegate that hat, what is the expectation? What are the systems that are happening within that function? So that when somebody shows up and says, I wanna help you with customer service, I wanna help you with sales, you can say, well, this is what being successful in sales looks like. This is what being successful running my maintenance division looks like, right? So I actually think we should standardize it before we replace ourselves. I've done that myself makes you more effective when you're doing it all, gives you more consciousness and awareness of what's working, what's not. Then you can look somebody across the table in the eye and say, Marie, this is the way you got to do it because I know it works because I've done it, right? And you've got confidence in it. So I think systematizing and operationalizing comes way earlier than most of us think we do. Well, let's just be honest. Some of us wake up and we've abdicated everything. We knew a guy and they were good at sales, could be a gal, right? They were good at sales. Hey, you're good at selling, you know, that insurance product. Come work for me, right? Here it is. That is a recipe for disaster, which is a whole nother podcast episode. But, you know, if that's where you're at today, 
the first thing to do is to get definition, to get a system in place. What, what does success look like this for this person? What are the steps that every stranger needs to go through to be converted into a customer? What are the qualification gates, right? This is all that stuff. Um, how many leads do we have? What's qualified lead? What's not a qualified lead? What are our marketing channels? What's the intent that we're signaling with our website forms when people fill them out? Get this stuff dialed in because it's gonna make everything easier. So sooner rather than later, I know I'm on my pedestal, my pulpit here, but uh, sooner rather than later is gonna make your life easier. I do have one more question. Britt, do you have another question? No, I feel like um, I have other questions, but I almost feel like it's going to spiral us into another like 45-minute discussion because I know something that we wanted to talk about, and maybe this is what you'll ask. I know I wanted to talk about cost per lead. lead. I almost think we should have a dedicated topic for that, but, but let me know what you think. Well, um, I feel like maybe, um, you know, talking deeper about cost per lead deserves its own podcast. But just because we're talking about leads, I feel like in in our listeners' minds, they might be thinking about cost per lead. And so given that, um, you know, we've established at the beginning of the podcast that everyone kind of defines a lead differently or what a valid lead versus invalid lead is differently. um, How does it relate to cost per lead? Because that's a metric that's important both for marketing and sales. Yeah, so we can definitely do a um, part two if you guys want. I'm happy to because I can already tell the juices get going, right? There's too many um, sites to go on, (laughs) too many rabbit holes to go down. Um, Cost per lead, okay? Uh, One, most of us do not run businesses that are um, sophisticated enough for us to care about cost per lead. Okay. Cost per lead is extremely important. Cost per lead should be broken down by source because you have three or four marketing campaigns. Where are those leads coming from? For most of us that are small sub a million dollars, right? It's all about cost of acquisition. Let's be honest, really good salesmanship and marketing is going to be multi multi pronged. When we're, we're small, this idea, that a owner clicks on a single ad and then buys, and that's something that can be repeated over and over again without follow-up and without branding and without you know good reputation management when they Google us, it's, it's a farce, right? I mean, it really is like cost per lead is a very sophisticated metric that should be tracked, but it's probably not as useful as just cost per acquisition. So overall, I know I'm investing in pay-per-click. I'm investing in a good online reputation. I'm following up like crazy, right? We're prospecting people. We, are, we have an amazing nurture program. We have a fantastic sales message. These are all things that if we align and we get in the right, um, if we orchestrate in the right way, we're gonna drive down our cost per acquisition. So are you spending $5,000 a month and you're converting 10 clients? How do you make that 15? That dramatically changes your business model, right? Because your selling system got better, your ads got better, your positioning is more clear, the marketplace changes, who knows? Um, Won't go off on a tangent about how much I think people are gonna need property managers after what we're going through right now with the coronavirus. It's only gonna make people more in demand and more pliable. Um, That could be another episode, by the way. So that's, I don't want this to be a cop-out, Marie, but, Cost per lead is probably too sophisticated of, of a metric 
for a sub-million dollar business compared to cost of acquisition, right? What can you do to truly generate more business for the piece of the pie that you're spending? And, and are you to the point where you can increase that pie going from $5,000 a month to $8,000 a month and you actually get equal returns, right? So if that's a, you know, geez, what is, on the fly, what is that like a 60% increase in budget? Well, you need to be getting a 60% increase or maybe just a 50% and that's good enough for you, right? This is the real calculation I would be doing with my business. Awesome. So we're definitely going to do a follow-up episode to dive deeper into that. Yeah, we have you on, on recording that you'll do it. So you're, you're obligated yeah. now. We love spending time with you too. <laughs> Just Thanks. awkward silence after that. Yeah, this is really, really great. I feel like um, even though we did go on a couple of tangents, the, the tangents were very meaningful to me. And I think they'll be meaningful to the the people that are listening, whether they're owners of a property management company or a BDM at a property management company, there are just so many um, facets to think about and, and um, just make, make sure that you're actually like following processes and making decisions based on data. I feel like that's always, we always go back to operationalizing things. We just did a podcast, um, a two-part podcast with Dave Gorm on that a couple weeks ago. So no matter who we speak with that's one of the underlying tones always so i think that's just so another process or people right yeah and the marriage of the two yeah yeah well here's my parting shot guys this is you know i feel like the best business lesson i had came out of like seventh grade science class and it's just the scientific process like having a hypothesis i think if i do x y will happen writing it down tracking the data and then being open to being wrong or right is invaluable. So many times we project the hypothesis. We say, oh, I believe we do X is gonna work. I don't even need to track it. I just know it works, right? I'm guilty of that, totally guilty of that. But you know, this is the best thing we can be doing as a small business. I have a hypothesis. I've talked to a consultant or I formulated an idea on my own. I read a business book, whatever it is. I think that if we operationalize sales, we will increase our conversion rate. Write that down track it, find out if it works or not, right? Like that can be applied to a million things, but that takes discipline and it takes time and discipline and time are not things that we have in, in high and high supply as entrepreneurs. That's why it's so important. So that's what I want to leave everybody with is scientific method is an underutilized business strategy. Well said. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Jeremy. To our listeners, thank you for listening to us despite our tangents. We hope you found this helpful. Watch out for our follow-up podcasts with Jeremy. You're going to see a lot more of him. Coronavirus will not keep us out of the airwaves. No, it won't. <laughs>